Welcome to episode 78 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week, I'm doing an interview with Destiny Preet talking about her dissertation on post-9-11 female veterans workforce transition experience. I wanted to do this interview this week because on June 12th in some states across the country, it's Women's Veterans Day, and Women's Veterans Day is on June 12th to celebrate the day in 1948 when women were formally allowed to serve in the military outside of war. And so I thought it would be interesting to do an interview focused on women veteran issues and talk about what Destiny learned from her research paper and how the stories, even though the people that she interviewed had different experiences and different transition paths, it was interesting how she came up with four themes that we'll talk about in the interview and what she learned from her research when she started putting it all together. So this episode's a little different than normal. I'm going to have Destiny on in the future to tell her military story, but this week we're going to focus on her research. And if you're looking for someone inspirational to follow on LinkedIn, make sure you check her out. So let's get started. You are listening to the Women of the Military podcast, where we share the stories of female service members and how the military touched their lives. I'm your host, military veteran, military spouse, and mom, Amanda Huffman. My goal is to find the heart of the story and uncover issues women face while serving in the military. If you want to be encouraged by the stories of military women and be inspired to change the world, keep tuned for this latest episode of Women of the Military. Welcome to the show, Destine. I'm excited to talk to you. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Life's a little crazy, but we're hanging in there. (laughs) I think we all feel the same way, so no worries. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, so this interview is going to be a little different than my normal podcast interviews because we're going to be talking about the research that you did for your dissertation. But I still want to start with why did you decide to join the military? Just because I thought that'd be a fun question to start with. Right. Well, hi, everyone. I'm Destiny Preet. That's a good question because, you know, sometimes I block that part of my life out, to be quite frank with you, (laughs) Um, because there's so much going on. I decided to join the military because I grew up in a military family. I grew up with my dad who was in, my mom had served too. Actually, what really drew me to deciding was that my dad was on a mission to Jordan on September 10th, 2001, uh, which is one day before September 11th. And he was on a mission and he got stuck in Amsterdam on the way over because September 11th happened. And when he got stuck, he was in a special unit and he basically, you know, we were cut off from all communications with him for several weeks because basically what happened was he ended up being one of the first to deploy over there. Um, and he was a logistician. Through that experience, I became very, I, I, I would say patriotic is probably a word that I could use, but I was very tied in wanting to serve. And so I literally, from that moment forward, I knew that I wanted to give back. I knew that I wanted to be part of whatever it was that he was doing. I didn't know at the time what he was doing, but I knew that I wanted to be part. So I decided in those moments that I was actually going to join the military, even though I was never really athletic or anything. I grew up in a family that was, you know, involved and I, you know, wanted to kind of continue on that, you know, that generational thing where I, I serve back to. So that was the main reason. But I also joined because, hey, you know, I got a free ride <laughs> to a college. Um, so I got an ROTC scholarship to the University of Tampa. And so I said, hey, the military, you know, I want to serve and they're also going to pay for my school. Yes. And I'm going to be able to get out of here and become an officer. Absolutely. Sign me up. So that's exactly what I did. But that's really the reason. The reason is because I was super driven to um, follow in my dad's footsteps. And he's been kind of my hero and my idol and all of these, my inspiration for many of the choices I've made um, in the military and outside of the military. That sounds really cool that you're following your dad's legacy. And then the ROTC scholarship is a great program, a way to go to school and then join the military. So that's awesome. So we'll save the like, your military experience for another interview. But Let's talk about why you decided to focus on post-9-11 veterans and why you decided to write a dissertation 
on post-9-11 female veterans workforce transition experience. So I guess uh, we can kind of start where, where maybe like what led me to wanting to even get my doctorate in the first place, because most people are like, why did you go from military to getting your PhD? Uh, well, I got out of the military because I had a lot of children at one time. I had twins and then I had one right after and my husband was active duty. So I chose to get out and it was a family decision and I knew that I could stay in, but I also you know, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and so I grew up watching her and watching what she did, and I really believe strongly that I should be a mom at home for a few years as well. So that's what I did. I got out, and I chose to pursue my PhD. And the reason I did that was because I wanted to have one thing for myself that I could own. Like, I knew that I was going to give everything I could to my children at that point being a mom. But I also knew that I needed something because I, I went from career woman to like nothing in a way, right? I went from doing something every day, going to work till, you know, staying at home full time with three babies, three in diapers, you know, formula. And so I decided to get my PhD. Most people are like, what is wrong with you? Why would you do that when you've got three babies? Well, it was the one thing that I could own and I could do and that I knew that it would project me and move me forward and, and let me excel after all of, you know, the stay at home mom stuff was over, basically. So that's why I really started my PhD. Now, what led me to focus on the post 9-11 vets and their transition? Well, a lot of things. I mean, there's some, it, it's hard to even start. I, when I got out of the military, I felt a little bit lost and that word now means a lot of things to me, but at the time I felt completely lost. That's why I started my PhD. And I also got out in 2012, um, which is whenever they initially started the transition assistance programs. And so at the time when I got out, I basically signed off on a paper stating that I didn't really care to do any transition classes because I didn't feel I needed it, you know? And so, and I think that um, that is a true probably feeling for many. Um, you know, it even goes down to adult learning theory. Like most people don't think that they need something unless they perceive they need it. And so at the time, perception was, I don't need this. I'm going to go be a stay-at-home mom. So I didn't do any of those classes. I didn't learn how to write a resume. I didn't learn how to do any of that. And so I just went to full-time mommy and student. But within those four years, I struggled in my classes. Uh, I struggled to relate because in my classes, I was a PhD student talking to CEOs. And, you know, they were all really, you know, much older than I, much more experienced than I in my classes, talking about all kinds of stuff. And the only thing that I could relate to them or relate to the class was things that happened to me in the military. And what I started to realize and put together was that the military was structured a lot like an organization. And that we could learn a lot from the military. We could learn a lot in businesses from the military, you know, when it comes to training and development and retention and things like that. So I kind of started putting those things together. And then as time went on, I got my first few jobs, which were both directly working with our veterans. So the first one was I was a career counselor for SFL Top, the Army's Soldier for Life program. And that's where I really all clicked for me. I realized that there was such a need to talk about transition overall, like for all veterans, but women specifically would come to me when I was a counselor and they would not really be quote unquote ready for their transition. They wouldn't really be as prepared because most of them were actually going home to be moms and they didn't really care about that stuff. They said, you know, talk to me later, talk to me a few years down the road when I'm ready. And so it was kind of this like interesting trend that I noticed that our transition programs want to push education and they want to push jobs, but that many of these women were not falling into those categories. And so as time went on, I started to do all of my PhD research on veterans. And what I found was that there was literally no research on our women. And when it comes to our post 9-11, our most current demographic of women veterans, there was nothing. There was not even a basis in which to talk about. And so that really proved to me two things. It proved to me, one, that I wasn't alone and that I, you know, I knew that things needed to change. Uh, and two, that we needed to do more research, that somebody out there needed to give all of our women a voice. 
Um, and so that's kind of what I aim to do. Yeah, that's really awesome. And speaking about like TAF, like, I guess I know why the research paper resonated with me so much because I was pregnant doing TAF and I was like, me too. <laughs> why am I here? Like, I just want to be a stay at home mom. And like, yeah, me too. Yeah. And then years later, I was like, man, I really wish I could take TAF again. Now that I'm like, in that transition phase back after like being a stay-at-home mom and like I would have I would have done this I would have done that but I wasn't like I was getting ready to have a baby I wasn't getting ready to get out of the military and so and like to have that forced on me at the same time I was just like checking the box and so it makes a lot of sense yes exactly what I did too I was pregnant with my third during my transition process um and same thing like I, that's why I checked. I literally signed a paper said, I don't need this because I didn't, at the time, it didn't matter to me. I was like, I'm just worried about the next phase of my life. And whenever I need that stuff, maybe I'll get back to it. But I just, I blew it off and I, I put it to the side. I completely understand what you went through. I went through the same thing. And interestingly enough, there was a woman in my dissertation interviews, that same thing. She was pregnant on her way out and she was not really concerned about her transition. And now here she is four years later, and she's contacted me because she is interested in her transition now. So I think that is a definitely a common thread amongst especially if you're dual military, because I was in the you know, my, my husband was in the military, and I believe yours was or it was too, right? Or is? Yeah, he still is. Yeah. And so and then the same thing with this other lady that I interviewed, she was also dual military. And so I think that's a whole nother topic that there's so many women that are getting out because they are dual military. And then they kind of start falling into that interesting battle of, am I a veteran or am I a spouse or what am I? So, you know, there's so much out there to really talk about and really address, but that is really the core of why I want to do what I'm doing and start talking about this stuff and researching it and putting it out there for the world to, to read and to talk about, you know, start, I keep saying, start the dialogue, just start the dialogue. And that's really like my mission with all of the research. Yeah. And so how did you uh, seek out women to be part of your research? And like, it's only you. So like, you were kind of constrained by like, how much work you could do and how many people you could talk to and how much time you had. So how did you go about doing your research and figuring out like, if you had enough research to do the dissertation and all that stuff? Right. So for my school, I went through Capella University and they set up the dissertation process. I thought it was a very good way. It basically helps you reach your goal of the dissertation because a lot of PhD programs, you're kind of left flapping um, in the wind by yourself along the process. But I was able to, you know, I, I chose to do a qualitative study. So basically, I didn't want to do numbers. You know, if there's no research to that has been done or conducted, you can't just simply start surveying people because you don't have enough numbers. You don't even have a basis of a foundation. So you have to start with talking to people. That's where the research starts. And so I did a qualitative study. I did a multiple case study. And basically, when it comes to the statistics, they show that eight and 14 participants is when you should hit what they call data saturation. Well, so I was literally aiming for maybe eight to 10 women. So I followed through with the procedures in which I, you know, told the IRB that I would do. And so I put out an ad on Facebook and literally within the first day, I had 72 responses from women in my inbox. It was really overwhelming in a lot of ways. It was overwhelming because there were 72 women, uh, but it was overwhelming because it felt really good that, yes, women are ready to speak. And so what I did was I basically went through the first 15 women that responded to me because I thought that was the fairest approach. And I reached out to them and asked them if they would be willing to participate. And what was great about that was that it just so happened that there was women from four different services. So there were Marine, Army, Air Force, and Navy. And then there was also a range from E4 or you know, specialist or corporal all the way to 06, which is colonel. They ranged in ages. They ranged in demographics. They ranged in services. They ranged in their ranks. And so part of me was a little nervous that, hmm, 
I wonder if their experiences will be similar and that I will be able to find any data or will they just be like spread all over the place and I can't, you know, put anything together. So that's really how I went about it because that's, you know, part of the dissertation process is you have to literally put a formula into your dissertation research plan and tell them, you know, tell the IRB how you did your study so that it can be replicated. That's the important factor that's basically what determines if it's scientific, you know, if it's evidence-based, is if, can your study be replicated? So that's what I did. But yeah, that's how I conducted the research. And whenever they reached out to me, they went through basically a little screening call. And then we scheduled a time to conduct the interviews. And then we moved forward with the interviews. And the interviews (laughs) were more than I expected. I only had 11 questions. So I thought maybe the interviews would be pretty short. They were all between an hour and hour and a half. And I had to cut people a little bit short at times because there was so much information they were giving me. These women wanted to be heard. Every single interview after I got off the phone with them or the, you know, Zoom, however method I talked to them, I felt some type of way. Their words resonated with me. I was emotional because I experienced very similar things. And to know that all of us women were experiencing similar things, but we never really talk about it, was bothersome and amazing at the same time because it gave me an opportunity to put that in my research. Like, what a great opportunity. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And that's so interesting because I think I have six or seven questions are like my standard interviewed questions for the podcast. And then they all like take a life of their own. And it's so interesting to hear their stories and the resonating factor. I didn't ever really think about like how much of everyone's story resonates with me. Like even if they're an E1 and they only served a year and they got medically separated, it doesn't matter. It's still like this thing that resonates together and, it's really cool that you were able in that first 15 to get all the ranks and all the branches. That's that's really cool. And I'm not surprised you got 72 women because I have, I mean, I'm recording for November right now and it's March or not March, it's April. I know what month it is. <laughs> I, and I have to limit like how many interviews I do because I can only do one podcast a week, but it's not because I'm looking for guests. It's because I can only do so much but women want to be heard and like that's why I think the podcast is doing so well because people want to hear and then they're they get to hear these stories and they're so blown away and when you posted the dissertation on LinkedIn a similar thing happened where it kind of like went it didn't kind of it went viral right it did twice (laughs) yes it went viral and I was so okay there's something to be said about spending years into research and then writing a paper. Okay. The only person that had eyes on that paper for, you know, the year that I was writing it was myself and then my mentor and then my board. And so every time I would like release the paper, there was this sense of euphoria, but also sense of like complete nervousness that maybe I just wasn't justifying the words of these women. And so I had these like really crazy emotions. And so when I was able to finally put it out there and then publish it and it published very quickly, like my entire process was super fast. Once I started, it was so fast that I wasn't ready for it. To be honest, I wasn't ready for it to be published that quickly. I wasn't ready to talk about it that quickly, but it happened within like six weeks. It all happened. It was crazy fast. Um, from the time I finished, you know, writing to the time, like it went published. It was crazy. And then when I put it out there, um, it, I posted, I put like, I put the dissertation out there and like literally overnight it, you know, hundreds, couple hundred thousand views. People were talking about it. People were messaging me. I had so many people reach out to me from so many different, you know, things like entities and people and professionals and women and Hey, like I, I want to talk about this because it resonates with not just women veterans, but all veterans. And it, you know, it gives you know, a foundation to start because, you know, the only way that you can make actual changes, unfortunately, is through research, is through evidence. People want to know, like, 
if they're going to push any funding towards anything, it needs to be, you know, evidence-based. It needs to be researched. And so for me, this was like opening that big can of worms, you know, opening Pandora's box in a way, like I'm going to like let the research go out there and see what happens. And both times that I put it out there, it, it went a little bit further. In fact, now I, I'm so busy with phone calls and like trying to like answer messages and talk to people that I had to like <laughs> just stop responding to people on those, you know, threads because otherwise I'm just going to keep being too busy and I can't help and talk about it all. And so, yes, it went viral. So that's great news because that's like, hey, not only are women talking, but people want to know what we have to say. And so what greater thing is that? There's nothing better than that. Yeah, and you mentioned that it resonated with men also, and I find that with the podcast, I was really surprised that men would reach out to me and tell me how much they enjoyed it, because I was like, but it's women talking, but I think women are able to look at military experience from a different perspective and, like, put words to things that, like, guys are feeling, but they don't understand, and so it doesn't really surprise me that men would reach out to you and be like, yes, this is what I was feeling, because I think we're able to articulate our feelings in such a way that then when they read it, they're like, yes, this is it, so that's really cool. Right, I agree, and I think that was the whole point, like, when you're doing a dissertation on a experience, it's experiences are emotional. And so absolutely, you know, we, you have to talk about emotions, you have to articulate the way that you felt, you know, you have to think about the way that you felt when you were in it, afterwards, before it, like all of these emotions come out. And so that's exactly why it was so like, I didn't write anything in my dissertation for six and a half months. Like I just read the words over and over because (laughs) how do you take For example, one of the women was a colonel, 30 years in, okay? How do you take her hour and a half discussion of her 30-year military career and her transition experience that she gave, like the entire interview was full of amazing things? Was it full of just so many things that should be shared? How do you take that and condense it into like a paragraph? And not only a paragraph, but a paragraph that has you know, meaning to other women that can basically translate into a theme, which is exactly what I did in my research. I did, I I identified four themes, but it was so difficult because it was like, there's so many amazing things and like every single word should be shared. I had to look at it from a scientific, you know, viewpoint. And that's difficult to do, especially when, yeah, it resonated. So I had to also keep, you know, I had to not be biased. I had to really look at it from a different perspective. And so it took me about six and a half months to really look at these words and read them and and be able to identify themes and like meaningful units is what we call the meaningful units of words and like experiences. And so that's what I did. I I did that and it was difficult, but I'm really glad and, and happy with how it turned out because I think like I said, it resonates with almost every veteran. So what what greater outcome could there be? Not much more, in my opinion. So. so was there anything in your conversations that or the themes that you pulled out that surprised you? Or maybe it could have been something that you felt, but you felt like you were the only one. Or maybe there was something that just surprised you that you didn't expect to hear. I think I was surprised by all of it because... I thought maybe a lot of those experiences were just unique to me. And what I found was that, no, none of those experiences were just simply unique to me, that they were shared. Um, Yeah, we experienced them in a different way, obviously. We experienced everything in a different way. But overall, I felt exactly the same way. For example, the first theme that I identified was non-traditional transition route. And I talked about this a little bit earlier with you, and me and you have that similar experience. The transition programs are congressionally mandated. You have to choose a path. And guess what? Almost every single one of these women did not fall into that traditional path. They were in a non-traditional path. They basically got out. Many of the women, almost all of them, had told me that they wanted to stay in the military longer. You know, that they wanted to stay into retirement. They had plans. They, they were going to stay in their 20 years and all these great things. You know, one, one wanted to be a general, but then they had children. And guess what? That changed their whole perspective. And so in the military, 
in some cases, isn't so friendly when it comes to family planning, especially when you're on a, you know, deployment rotation. So the non-traditional transition route, it was really good to know that I wasn't the only one that was trying to transition several years after I actually transitioned. And it was surprising to see that every single woman almost had the same experience. Like the one that was a full bird colonel, she actually, and one of her, you know, quotes was basically that she didn't want to run around because she was in the airborne unit. She didn't want to run around in a beret and have a pregnant belly because she wanted to fit in and she wanted to, you know, have a good career. And so she literally planned to not have children because she wanted to get further. And so that really hit me hard because I was like, wow, how many women out there choose not to have children because they want to, you know, they want to excel in their military career. That says something about our military. That says something. And it says that maybe we should do more work and effort to, you know, make having children part of like, it, it's an okay thing. It's a natural thing. We we're put on this earth <laughs> to reproduce like biological basics. However, you know, many women were planning to not have kids because, you know, they didn't want to mess their career up. So that really was something that kind of sat with me for a while. And, you know, like I said to you earlier too, about being dual military, a lot of the women were dual military, meaning that their spouse was in too. And so that was just so interesting to me. Um, and it was a bit unexpected, um, you know, and there was, I had three other themes and I wasn't surprised by all of those themes. Um, the second one was identity shift. You know, many women experienced empowerment in uniform. They felt strong and physically like big and powerful in their uniform. And then when they took the uniform off, many of them experienced a sense of loss. And I think that resonates with so many veterans, not just women. I wasn't super surprised. And I have a whole lot of things that I want to say and do when it comes to identity in the, in the military and identity post-transition. I mean, I have a lot of work planned for that. And then the third theme was recognition. Many experienced that they weren't recognized for their service while they were in and when they transitioned. And so there were so many um, little stories that came out in my dissertation that basically, you know, one woman, for example, she has disabled veteran license plate cover on her, you know, car. And people will come up to thank her husband for her service. And then her husband tells them, no, that's not, those aren't my disabled veteran license plate covers. That's my wife's and you should thank her for her service. And so many of the other women shared that same experience where people were thanking their husbands, the men for their service when actually it was the women that should be thanked. And so there was this lack of recognition and, you know, another lady experience when she, they put free veteran haircuts up on uh, a sign and she went into the, you know, shop and said, Hey, I want a haircut. And they're like, they laughed at her because they're like, you're, you're not a man. You're, you're not a veteran. Like, no. And she couldn't have her haircut for free because she was a woman and she was mortified. You know, how, how else would you feel? I'd feel mortified too. So we need to get better about recognizing our women. And then the last one, um, and I'll do this very briefly because I'm sure we could talk about the last one all day, the transition assistance programs and the need for reformation. They need to change. And these women came up with so many great examples of why they need to change, but also so many recommendations on how they should change. You know, there is proof, there is evidence that shows that these transition programs are actually geared towards men. They are. And so, okay, we know this. So why is this okay? And why is this allowed to happen? Why are we only piloting women programs? Why are, why is that even a pilot? Why shouldn't we just establish these things? And so, like I said, we could probably talk all day about that, but those are the four themes and there were some surprises, but most of them completely resonated. And I think you might have the same experience now that I shared them with you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> even when my husband will be able like, well, she served and she deployed to Afghanistan. And then people like look at you kind of funny and they just are like, oh, okay. And <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, wait, that's not the right response. And and so it's just, yeah, all four of those really resonate with me. Obviously, they it really hits close to home. And I think that's why I wanted to talk to you about your research, because I think more people need to read it. Not that you already went viral, but it doesn't change the fact that more people need to find it and more people need to read it because it is so important 
And I've loved learning about like how you took the steps so that this could be replicated so more research can be done because there's so much more research that needs to be done. And this dissertation just shows like how important it is with how quickly it went viral and with how many people are reaching out to you and how many women you got to respond when you first started doing your research. So it's, it's really exciting to hear about the work that you did, the themes that you found. Yeah, I'm excited too. What I want it to be is basically like a foundation of Honestly, I call it a foundation of change. My goal for 2020, like whenever, I didn't realize how quickly that my dissertation would like get done and be, you know, completed and published. But my, I told myself, you know, I don't really like resolutions. I always give myself like a year, like a, like a theme for the year. Cause that's better for me. Like I don't do well with just like very specific goals sometimes, you know? So my theme for the year was change the script. And I mean that in so many ways. I mean that in a personal way, like we all have internal scripts that we go through every day. And sometimes not every day, but sometimes they'll come back to us. And they're always pretty negative. Like it's that script that comes back and haunts you type of thing. So my, that's like the individual perspective of change the script. The other perspective of change the script is that I want to change the script when it comes to how we talk about our veterans. And I want veterans to get better about you know, talking about themselves and having a voice and giving themselves due credit, you know, and and that even breaks down to the basics of resumes and, you know, finding jobs, like change the scripts. Like you are not just whatever the transition assistance program tells you that you are, you are so much more. And then on the other side of that, because my PhD is in IO psychology, industrial and organizational psychology with a focus in psychological coaching, I always come from an organizational perspective too. So I also think we should change the script when it comes to veterans in the workspace. They did a study that basically showed, I think, like 3,000 plus organizations participated in this study. And it was interesting because what they found was that these organizations brought veterans into their workspace as entry level because they had so many stereotypes associated with those veterans. Like they, they, they believed that they were basically only, quote unquote, capable of entry level work because, you know, they come with a lot of baggage. And they also showed that it didn't matter how many years of experience that these veterans had, they they could have 30 years experience, but they were still like, you know, saying that they basically had, you know, entry level experience, because they don't understand the translation. So that's an organization. Those are, that's an organization's problem too. Like, you need to know and be more educated about what kind of value is brought by a veteran in the workforce. And so when I say change the script, I am hoping that is exactly like what happens with the research, with the dissertation and beyond, because people want to talk, people are ready to change that script. We're all like, please, like media, change the script of what a veteran is. You know, it's not just your, you know, 50 something year old white male that you know, is a retiring colonel. No, there's, there's so many of us. We come in all shapes, sizes, colors, everything. And we come with so many amazing values and so many amazing skills. We need to be given the opportunity to show that and to talk about it and to change the script. So that's what I'm really hoping for. Yeah, that sounds really good. I just saw that they started some women veteran something with the VA this morning. And I was looking at who was on it. And it was all like, lieutenant colonels and above. And it really bothered me because I think part of the reason I'm really excited about like your research is because you covered all the ranks and you got like all the different views. And it was really discouraging for me to read that this morning and see that like everyone was like lieutenant colonel to full bird colonel range. And like, I'm like their perspective, like even though all your research told Um, like the same general themes, it still is kind of frustrating to me that the VA is like, and a lot of organizations I feel like are only focused on people who like made it to 20 years or made it. And that's missing so many people's stories and perspectives that I feel like they're only going to be able to get half the answer. Exactly. And, And then look at our generation now, like the youngest generation, they're not staying in. Like, that's not what they do. You know, they are built on this like idea that they want to jump around and like explore a lot of options in their lives. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
And we're not capturing that whenever we just like you said, take people who have been in the military so many years, um, and and basically translate it right into a job with like VA where it's very military. It's basically like they're falling right back into like a similar situation. They're not even transitioning, really. You know, <laughs> like they're we call that the cushion transition. Um, you know, and and there is that is something else too I found in my research that I didn't talk about, but that I really want to talk about at some point is that all of the women and I think many of uh, people that we know and probably even ourselves have tended to fall when we get into that first job or whatever, we stay military connected. We feel more comfortable working in a place where there are veterans, when we could talk to veterans, when we, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. And, um, but I think we don't talk about that enough when we're, you know, talking about transition where there's like this kind of cushion we need to build around us that is, you know, our support community. And that support community includes other veterans and and other people that have gone through similar experiences. You know, that's why many military members want to go straight into a government job um, that translates right into basically military time because it's cushion, it's easy, and it, it, it feels right. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think that we don't experience what we could fully experience um, as veterans um, if we don't just go kind of like cast our net out, you know, a little bit further to the left and right, because, you know, we're so used to being in our comfort zone. And I think that's kind of what VA is doing. It's like a comfort zone. Like we know that these colonels and stuff have experience and knowledge that can educate. Yes, absolutely. But just like you said, we need diversity. We need variety. We need, you know, people from all levels to talk about these things, because otherwise you're changing things for a generation that is completely different than their, you know, their generation. So I, I appreciate you sharing that because I think it's exactly what we need to talk about more. It's like a weird, like when I was reading it, I was getting so upset and I was like, I guess, I guess this bothers me because I'm getting so frustrated because I was like another Lieutenant Colonel. And I just, I just really think that that's something that's missing. And people will sometimes see that my podcast is created by a military officer and they'll comment without looking at it and be like, oh, I bet she only talks to officers because I know that's the way officers are. And it really makes me sad because like, I don't discriminate if you're a woman and a veteran, you just sign up on the website and then I send out an email and the first people who sign up, kind of like you did the first 15, the first people who sign up, they're the ones who get to be on the podcast. And it's just, I, I haven't figured out a way to do everybody, so I have to like set boundaries and make it work. But it I want to hear all the stories, and I and they're so important, and they all have different takeaways and value. And so, absolutely, absolutely, and I appreciate that. I think variety and diversity is exactly what we need to talk about, you know. And that's just like I said, all shapes, sizes, you know, everything, like I said, it's so interesting because we all share very similar processes, experiences within the military, after the military. And I love that you're doing this podcast. And I love that you're capturing the voices of so many women who aren't used to being able to be heard, you know, and that gives so much, you know, depth to what you're learning and what you can put out there and what other people can learn from one another just by simply listening in. So, you know, thank you for doing that. And thank you for being absolutely like looking at making sure that it's diverse because it's, that's exactly what we lack so much of, you know, in the, in the higher echelons of, you know, VA and, you know, DOD and stuff like that. We need younger people. We need more, you know, experiences and knowledges from all walks of life doesn't matter where you came from or you know what rank you were we need all of it so thank you for doing that yeah it's so true I love I love it it's so awesome so I wanted to end with two questions the first would be what advice do you have for women veterans wow (laughs) (laughs) I know I kind of changed directions a little bit I think really just kind of what me and you are saying, like, tell your story, you know, um, it's about changing the script this year. So what I mean by that is don't be afraid, you know, so many women 
interestingly enough, they did research and showed that many veteran women don't even self-identify as a veteran. And why? Because all the pressures that come along with the word veteran, but there shouldn't be. There needs to be recognition. And I think that is the problem. We're not recognizing, we're putting pressure on. And so I want women to feel empowered to tell their story. And I want women veterans to be more collaborative, come together. You know, I have experienced so much interesting interactions when I got out. And now that I'm more involved in our, you know, nonprofit space and things like that, because I also have a nonprofit that I'm launching called We Two Are Vets. And what the nonprofit does is focuses on the recognition, inclusion, honor, and most importantly, empowerment of our women veterans. And so many women veterans, when they get out and they start these, you know, their ventures, whatever endeavors they're doing, they don't really collaborate. And if they do, they're very like skeptical of other women. And I think that's a problem that we, you know, it's a learned problem. I I was the same way at first. I was like, oh man, like, you know, is this woman like trying to be my friend or is she just trying to like, you know, maybe take over something I'm working hard on? I don't know. And so I was a little bit like skeptical at first too. But now that I have opened my mind, you know, cast my net and really just kind of um, been open to the idea of talking with other women, wow, like I can't tell you how many amazing relationships I've built collaboration is amazing. I have been doing, I've been working on so many things and a lot of that is with women. And when I have conversations with women lately, like before it used to be like almost surface level conversations. Now, when I talk to a woman, it's usually like we get deep real fast because I'm not, I am unafraid and I help them become unafraid. And so, you know, we need to, we need to tell our stories. We need to um, not be afraid that we had some potentially you know, bad traumatic experiences in the military. You know, a lot of the women came and talked about they had negative experiences, including things like military sexual trauma, MST, some had PTSD from that. And, you know, that is also unfortunately in some cases a shared experience. And the only way that we can be stronger is that we have to talk about it. We can't hold it in. We need to you know, we need to take power over those situations and those triggers, and we need to move forward. And the best way to do that is together. I really believe that, you know, we need to just get more comfortable and and letting our voices out and, you know, recognizing one another and building each other up and empowering, you know, our fellow women. And, you know, I think that would just make things so much better and easier in transition and beyond, don't you think? <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree. And we, we've met in person one time, but it was for like, we went to a meeting and then you had to run. But we have a pretty close relationship, even though we've never met. And it's like only been via LinkedIn. Exactly. But like you said, we've, we've just went past the fluff and dove in and we support each other. And it's been, it's been really cool to like have that like shared commonality of like another woman veteran and then you just kind of have this deep connection right away and you make friends and it's 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 something that I ran away from when I first left the military and it's only been in the last like three years when I started podcasting that I was like oh these women are awesome why am I not getting connected with them same with me and like I said I ran away and I used to be kind of like not I wouldn't know if the right word is skeptical I think I just especially after getting out of the military and, you know, in the military, you have those built-in relationships, you have that built-in camaraderie and then you get out and then all of a sudden you realize, uh, I kind of have to build my support system around me now. Like, what does that even mean? And to be honest with you, like I'm a military spouse and I'm also a veteran and I didn't really know where I fit in you know? And so I was like, how do I even talk to women? And I think that was a shared experience in my dissertation too, with, you know, all the women that talked about this, like need to, uh, the transition, there should be a phase of decompression, or they called it assimilating back into the civilian side, because we as women don't necessarily know how to quote unquote, be women when we get out of the military. And I felt that way. I was like, how do I be a, like, I don't even know how to talk to women. I've, 
I'm used to talking to men and I'm used to like being hardcore and aggressive and assertive and things like that because that's just how you're built up. So I agree. I have had, now that I've opened myself up and just, you know, listened and had conversations and it's been amazing. And same thing, like I appreciate knowing you and I appreciate what you're doing and all of the, you know, the goals that you're trying to meet are amazing. And I am so proud of you for how far you've come. Um, and I look forward to like, you know, future talking, collaborating, and because this is what we need. This is the only way that we are both and all of us are going to hit what we want to hit. Our goals is to be, like I said, do it together and do be collaborators. That's the only way. Just like we did in the military. We were one team, one fight. You get out, you're one team, one fight. So I don't know why that has to change, but it does. We need to, we need to make more efforts in that. <laughs> That's so true. And then I have my one last question is for the women who are listening, who are considering joining the military. Do you have any advice that you would love to give them? It kind of falls into the same thing. You know, never lose yourself or your voice. The military gives you that kind of sense of empowerment and purpose, but don't let it strip who you are. You are, you know, your first name. You are you. And you came into the military because you wanted to be part of something else. You wanted to serve. And sometimes the military can kind of strip you of your authenticity and yourself. And it's so important. Like, think about all of the amazing leaders and the amazing, you know, people that have inspired us. Why do have they, you know, why have they empowered us? Why have they inspired us? Because they were different. They were truly themselves. And so if you remember that going through your, you know, your military experience, your military life cycle, all the way through the transition, and you just stay true to who you are. Yes. At some points, you will have to mold yourself a little bit to get through the next point, but you still don't have to lose who you are. So I just encourage, you know, young women when they're coming in just to be strong um, and to, you know, enjoy the experience. And then the second thing is to seek a mentor. Okay. So like, you don't have to do this alone. Like I, one of the things in my dissertation that came out from all of the women was that they wish they had a mentor that they were able to talk to about decisions in their military, you know, careers. I mean, one even said if a woman would have told her that she didn't need a family care plan at that specific time in her career, that she would have actually stayed in the Navy longer. Like she would have, her entire career trajectory would have changed because she had a mentor. So I would say seek a mentor. And I, you can do that in many ways. You can do that by, you know, reaching out to your own personal network with women who have been successful in the military and say, Hey, you know, if I have a question about, you know, something that's happening to me in the military, can I just pass it by to you and make sure that one, it's like what's supposed to be happening or two, maybe like your advice on how to move forward. Or if you don't know anybody in your personal network, there are so many amazing platforms out there in which you can seek a woman veteran uh, or women veteran mentor. And if you can't, then reach out to myself or probably even I'm sure Amanda will help too. We will help mentor. We will help guide you and we will give you access to other mentors and women who have been through it because, you know, sometimes it's a very, it feels like a very lonely journey, even though you're surrounded by a ton of people and it doesn't have to feel that way. Sometimes we just need that extra voice um, to give us some certainty and to give us some, you know, assurance and things like that, that we, that we're okay and that we're going to make it through and that, you know, maybe we just need to bounce that decision off of another, but it's important to get a woman mentor because she can resonate with you in ways that likely a man would not be able to, especially when it comes to things like family planning or, you know, things like that. So of course you can have men mentors, but I would say and suggest a woman, you know, mentor would really help kind of with the ice, put the icing on the cake for some of those, you know, things that you need to get through. So that would be my, you know, those two things of advice. Don't forget who you are, use your voice and seek a mentor. I definitely agree on the mentor. Well, I agree on both points, but the mentor part, I created a guide on my website, a girl's guide to the military. And it's my way of like reaching more people by only being one person and putting all my thoughts in one place. But anyone who gets that guide and then wants more support, I can either connect you with someone in the right branch or the right job or whatever you're looking for. Because I think, like, I always am like, recruiters are great, but you also need someone who's not a recruiter to help you when you're making your decision. Because 
you need someone who's in your corner for you and not in the military's corner getting you to join. So I I definitely, I, I can't agree more with the advice that you gave. So We Too Are Vets, my nonprofit, that's really something that I'm trying to establish um, in the coming months is building a very strong m- women mentorship program. And I think there are so many platforms out there that offer those things. And so that's why I told you I'm a collaborator. I believe in building off of those things, not trying to do all, because, you know, just like you, I'm one person, I can't do it all. But there are, you know, platforms out there that are already designed to help you with mentorship. And I believe I'm building on that and, and making more options available. Interestingly enough, so many women actually want to be mentors. They just don't know how to start. They're like, how do I even like, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know where to go. I mean, I've talked to so many people these last several weeks and they are just like, help me. I want to, I want to be a mentor. I want to help young women and I want to talk about it. And so people are talking, they want to help, but they don't know how. So um, definitely, you know, link in with myself, um, link in with uh, my nonprofit. I'm also very heavily involved with another nonprofit called Vets to Industry. And um, it's basically Brian Arrington's baby. He started it. It's He's built something amazing. It's basically a repository of information. And it's a library that anyone, doesn't matter who you are, if you're thinking about joining the military, if you're already in the military, if you're a family member, it, all any type of military-connected individual can go to this um, this resource library and look around. And so and one of those um, places that you can look around is, you know, for a mentor. And then I'm also the director of women veteran programs and resources for vets to industry. And my goal with my nonprofit is to move forward in the next four to six months on really establishing that pillar under vets to industry and we to our vets for women veterans. And, you know, this can also go into hand with women who are thinking about joining the military. It's like, you're every single service member, doesn't matter who you are, you're going to become a veteran. You're going to make that transition. It doesn't matter where you come from, whatever, you're going to make it. So you will eventually become a veteran. With that being said, you need to start in the, you know, you have to really address all of these um, issues and things in the beginning of your military life cycle. And if you can start whenever you're coming in, in the military and you know what's out there, you know that there are so many available resources out there. Think about how much better your entire experience in the military and beyond will be. Because if something happens, there's a resource. There's something, there's an entity out there that can help you get through that beyond your tight little circle in the military. There are others out there that are willing to help. So I hope that helps other women out there and other people and and young women who are thinking of joining. Yeah, those are great resources. And I'll make sure to link to them in the show notes. And I really want to say thank you for your time. I know how busy you are and I'm loved getting to talk to you about your dissertation and all the stuff that you're doing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me and I look forward to more chats. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of Women of the Military. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the amazing stories I have with women who have served in our military. Did you love the show? Don't forget to leave a review. Finally, if you are a woman who has served or is currently serving in the military, please email me at airmantomom at gmail.com so I can set you up to be on a future episode of Women of the Military.